We continue on through Ecclesiastes. We're hitting the halfway point tonight through uh, our in-depth study. We're walking verse by verse through uh, the book in the Old Testament that has Solomon as its author. He is one of the wisest men who has ever lived outside of Jesus, the wisest. And he is a rich man, and he's going to tell us about riches tonight. So as we walk through verses uh, 8 through 20 in chapter 5, the theme tonight is mo money. Mo problems. Some of you guys remember that little gif? I've been waiting a long time to use that. And so tonight is the time. Now, we view rich and poor in a lot of different ways. Our society, our culture, America, lots of different opinions on being rich and being poor. But let me just um, throw a few different lenses out there and and see how they color our idea of what um, is better, to be rich or to be poor. Uh, For example, Let's just talk about quality of life. For you, if you had to answer in one second, either rich or poor, what would you say when I ask, would you rather be rich or poor? Rich. I didn't hear anyone say poor. Is that, that's, that's odd, right? Because automatically, most of us think, for your quality of life, when it comes to money, more is always better. Right? Our culture in America makes you, because we have the American dream, makes you believe that if you're not furthering your career, if you're not going after the job that pays the most, if you're not getting a nicer house when you've got that starter home, you've got to get bumped up, and then you need uh, your forever home, right? You hear that a lot. And the car, well, it's cool when you're in high school to have an old car, but when you get older, you need to have a nicer car. And you don't matter if you lease or you buy, whatever. You just need a nice car. And if you've got a new car, then that's better because more is better, right? That's what they tell us. That's what they tell us. Solomon's going to tell us tonight, more is not always better. What about um, just socially? You know, we have a class system, right, in in America. Anytime you have capitalism, you're going to have lower class, middle class, upper class. How do they view each other? You see them villainize and demonize each other quite a bit, right? The poor, a lot of times, not all the time, but many times look at the rich and say they're corrupt. They're the 1% and they don't care about the 99%. Somehow they rigged the system. It's all about them. The rich just getting richer. They don't care about the little guy, right? It's usually not good, their views towards them. Although they often want to be them, right? Isn't that how it goes? We hate you till we are you. Um, And then the rich will oftentimes look at the poor in our country and say, well, you're lazy and you're poor because you chose to be poor, and surely there couldn't be any other circumstances around it, uh, because no one would choose to be poor, and you just want handouts, and you're going to vote based on who gives you the most handouts, and you don't want to work. How about politically? If you lean a little bit to the left, then you might find yourself wanting to defend the poor, but looking at the rich as the bad guy. Say, let's take from the rich and just distribute it amongst the not-so-rich. If you lean a little bit to the right politically, you might say, I'm going to protect capitalism, so I've got to protect the rich guy. And I'm going to hammer the little guy sometimes, because maybe the little guy doesn't always have great motivations. Maybe they're the problem with this country, right? We don't need to spread the wealth. You need to earn it. You've got to work hard. This is America. How about even the way that we view Jesus and the gospel? We've got two perverted gospels that 
are all over this country and world, one of them being the poverty gospel, the other being the prosperity gospel. The poverty gospel says the way that Christians should live because Jesus on earth was a mere little carpenter and he had to get money from some of the ladies who were around him, right? And so he was poor on earth, then Christians should be poor. And if you ever have anything nice, we're going to look at you and make you feel guilty. Christians can't have nice stuff. And if we're going to unite with Christ in his suffering, then we're going to have to live as he did on earth, and that's poor. That's the poverty gospel. They find righteousness in their poverty. That's a twisted gospel. We find righteousness in Christ and what he did on the cross, and alone what he did on the cross. The prosperity gospel says that, well, Jesus might have been poor on earth, but he's rich in heaven, and my daddy in heaven owns a cattle of a thousand hills, so we know he wants us to have health and wealth, and if you don't have it, you probably sin, or you just don't have much faith. So then it's all about your works, and you're not good enough to have wealth. You should be better, because surely God wants you to have it. But what does the Bible say about being rich and being poor? I think the Bible is very clear. We're going to see it all throughout tonight. It says, watch your heart. Because here's the deal. Money's neutral. Money's neutral. Just like... Uh, guns and alcohol and many other things that our society blames for problems, these things can be both good or evil. It's not in and of themselves they're good and evil. It's who's behind them that's good and evil, you and I. Guns can be used to protect someone. They can be used to hurt someone. Alcohol can be used for stomach ailments, or it can cause stomach ailments. (laughs) In the same way, you can worship money or you can worship with money. And so God says, I don't care so much about your riches, but I care about your righteousness. I don't care so much about how fat your wallet is, but how full your heart is with me. And so he says, watch your heart, because it's not about the amount of money you have. It's about where your heart is towards it, what you're willing to do for it, and what you do when you have it. And so tonight, I want you to picture yourself standing there in front of the doctor, old Solomon. And you're in a spiritual heart checkup tonight. And he's going to show us. um, You might not think this is about you because maybe you're not rich financially. But because money issues are never just money issues. Money issues are always heart issues. Everybody in this room can be convicted tonight. So I want you to be encouraged because this is all about a kingdom that's out here on earth. And we get to partake in a kingdom that's of a different kind, where Christ is the king. But I want you to be challenged as well when we talk about money. So let's jump on in. This is going to be fun. I can tell by your silence and glares that you are excited to talk about money. Verse 8, in case you're wondering this series we're preaching out of the NLT. It's just a little bit easier. Sometimes you've got to translate the translation. So I just skipped that and we just went straight to the NLT. Verse 8 says, don't be surprised. Pause. A lot of things in life surprise us. Solomon's saying, I'm going to tell you some junk about life on earth. Don't be surprised when you see this. Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful. You ever seen that before? And if justice is being miscarried throughout the land, for every official is under orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. The poor guy says, amen. 
But even the king milks the land for his own profit. Now, this is coming from the king. This isn't coming from the poor guy's perspective. This is coming from Solomon. He was the one milking the land, even for its own profit. First thing we see when it comes to the trouble with riches is that it often breeds oppression. It breeds oppression. Here's the bottom line. Here's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, I know because I've been a king who wanted more and more and more and I could never get enough and I thought it would bring me happiness and so I had guys working under me with guys working under them, working under them, working under them and I saw the little guy at the very end of the totem pole and how we took advantage of him and how oftentimes there would be injustices and I would see it in other lands and I know about it in my own land and they would try to work their way up the ladder to see maybe someone will care about my justice, someone will look after me and take care of me but there's always because there's red tape, because there's a lot of people trying to get ahead, someone who's going to say, no, 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 no. Let's just brush that justice thing under the rug. Because here's the bottom line. When you love money more than you love God, when you love money more than you care about relationships, you're likely to compromise morality. You're likely to make some bad decisions. And Solomon's saying, I know, because I was in that, like, I'm the king. That's my perspective. You put a little bit of authority, power, control in the hands of someone who loves money, don't expect to have a very just kingdom. Thank God, though, we have a kingdom where our king's already rich and he doesn't need earthly money and he's always just. And we don't have to worry about him taking advantage of us. He died for us so that we could be a part of this kingdom. Now, let's just throw this out real quick because I imagine this is a thought in some of our minds. When it comes to rich, what, what is rich? And what is poor? It's subjective, isn't it? Everyone in this room is rich to somebody else. Everyone in this room is poor to somebody else. It's subjective. In general, rich and poor isn't just one rung above or below where you are right now on your income levels. It's usually a few rungs. For some of us, we think, if I could just get that new car, man, I'd be a rich man. Some of us say, no, if I could have just a few more million dollars, I would be a rich man. Some say, if I had to take my kids out of private school, I'd be poor. Some say, if I didn't have a place to sleep tonight, I'd be poor. It's subjective, right? And so here's why this is important. Because the heartbeat of those who, who push justice under the rug for their own gain isn't whether you're already rich, right? Because there's a bunch of higher ups. Someone, you're, you're on the totem pole somewhere but it's whether you're one of the people trying to get ahead. And that's where this isn't just about rich people. It's about all of us. If your heart is, I want to get ahead, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead. And this is for you. Now, big picture-wise, we see this all over the world, right? There's nations with dictatorships, and they often oppress the people so that the rich get richer and stay rich, right? And then there's some countries who have a history of things like slavery, where their laws allowed them to oppress people for the sake of the rich getting richer. And we all know that there's human trafficking all over the world, and even in our own backyard, newsflash, in our own backyard. Sometimes the oppression is voluntary. People say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself for money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself to be abused so that financially I get ahead. 
Other times it's involuntary. Big picture is happening all over the world. Most of us, though, the second that pops up and you say, more money, more problems. Sometimes it breeds oppression. It doesn't have anything to do with me. You think I'm going to talk about like some dictators across the world, right, who oppress the little guy. I want to give you two things tonight that, that might hit home. And, and I'm, I prayed about this because I want to make sure I don't offend you, but I want to call some things like they are because that's the heart of what Solomon's saying. He calls it like he sees it. So let me just ask you, are you oppressing anyone so that you can get ahead and they might bear the weight of that? I'm going to give you two ways that you and I might fall into that trap. First one, pyramid schemes or multi-level marketing. This is fun, right? Okay, so let's get real. You jump on your Facebook page tonight and you are going to see there's probably more people on your Facebook page with posts in the last 24 hours more passionate about selling some product you don't know how they ever got hooked up with then they probably are passionate about Jesus, right? Sometimes I would go through my news feed and I think to myself, if these people could be passionate about Jesus like they are selling some random product, we'd have revival. Now, let's stop here. We know there's a big difference between pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing. One of them, as far as I know, is illegal. The other one is not. And I'm not going to name a bunch of names because I know there are people here who are part of multi-level marketing stuff, Right? And I want you to know it's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily bad, the multi-level marketing thing. But you got to check your heart and make sure that you're not oppressing your family, friends, and close connections for the sake of someone else somewhere getting rich. Because here's the big idea with pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing. They're not usually so, well, let's separate the two. Pyramid schemes. The big idea for a pyramid scheme is that a product and a company don't want to set up necessarily retail, but they want people to take advantage of their connections. And instead of selling and making most of your money via the product, you make most of your money via recruiting, oftentimes friends and family, to be a part of this. In which case, they often have to take a financial investment, maybe at $200,000, $500,000 by product up front, and then they're in the game and they got to sell it. And so most of the money for a pyramid scheme comes from not the product being sold, but the recruitment of people. So you're not selling product, you're selling people. That's oppression. And you've got to be very careful. Now, multi-level marketing by design is simply, you can sell something for 80 bucks, and if someone wants to buy it, great. You might only have paid five bucks to get that $80 thing made, but there's 20 people in the middle getting five bucks a piece. That's the multi-level marketing. But oftentimes you can still find yourself in a position where you're asked to take advantage of your network, your relationships. And that's why I say it's not necessarily wrong. Some of you do it and it's morally okay for you, and maybe even a blessing for you. And, and I want you to know there's healthy ways to do that. But what I'm saying is check your heart. Check your heart. I don't speak about this as someone who's standing on the outside. 
when I was in Hutchinson and I went to uh, do the whole firefighter thing, I was almost done with school and I needed some extra money, right? That's how we all get into it. We all need supplementary income. That's how we get into this stuff. And you see newspaper ads and whatnot. Hey, make a million dollars from home this week, guaranteed. And you're like, okay, sounds good. And so you call some number and you find yourself hooked up with one of these things. And I remember we went over to Heston and there was job interviews, right, for this fire alarm company that was selling fire alarm systems. And I'm thinking to myself, this sounds legit, right? So I jump into it, go through these interviews, everything's okay. I say, looks good, I'll jump into it. Long story short, when I jumped into it, I found out I was selling like $1,800 fire alarms, usually to people who couldn't afford it. But also, with no pressure, I just had to sell like five or 10 in the first couple months, encouraged to give my presentation to first all my friends and family. And so, were the fire alarms good? Yeah, they were fine. But I can tell you straight up, it cost them 10 bucks to make something that they sold for 300 And part of our marketing scheme was when you see newspaper ads from around the state of Kansas, people had their house burned down, you go and find them. And you make them feel bad about what just happened and sell it to them because they need a fire alarm system. It was horrible. I could tell you some of the tactics, but it made me sick. I was in it for about a month before I finally bailed, but there was another guy who was a firefighter in Hutchinson who quit his job to go into this full-time, and he was out of it in two months, and he had to beg his way back onto the fire department. Why do I tell you that story? Because I sat down in front of my mom and my dad and my grandma and my aunt as a young punk, and I gave them my little spiel, and I knew that they knew I was dumb, and they knew that this was way too expensive, And to this day, when I go to their houses and I see those alarm systems that they bought, I feel like an idiot. All I'm saying, watch your heart. Make sure you're not oppressing people so that you get ahead. So don't run out of here and say, Ryan hates the thing that I'm selling. This ain't about me. This is just watch your heart. And make sure you're not oppressing. Second one, and I'll spend less time talking about this. This is the old bait and switch. Relationship versus career. This is a way that I think most of us might fall into oppressing others via getting ahead. How often do boy meet girl, fall in love, let's get married. Hey, we're married now. Let's talk about dreams. Okay, I got dreams. You got dreams. One of us is going to have to maybe work some long hours. We want a nice house, right? I'm doing it for you, baby. And then they find themselves working way too many hours. And then someone's sitting at home on Friday night calling mama saying, mama, I'm just watching Netflix. He's working late again. It's been this way all week long. And and then um, I don't know when it's going to end, but hey, I know he's doing it because he loves the family. And then all of a sudden, boom, kids enter the picture. You can't be home with kids, can't be home with wife or wife can't be home with husband. And you find yourself walking out the door years later in divorce. And one person saying, you got to choose your career or us. I didn't sign up for this. Which one are you going to choose? That's the story of so many people in America And the bottom line is, when you choose your career over your family, people who are sitting at home locked into your family because they married into it or they were born into it, and you're saying, i got to work these hours. You ain't got to work any hours. You live in America, man. You are blessed beyond belief, and you took that job, you can quit that job. And I can't tell you how many people I've sat down with and counseled when their marriage was falling apart, and I said, maybe you should quit your job. And they look at me like I kick their dog because that's off the table. 
And I say, if that's off the table, you just told us all in this room what you care about most. Let me ask you, is your career or your desire to get ahead a blessing or a curse to the people around you? You might just be oppressing them for your own dreams. And God's saying, Solomon's saying, there's dictators around the world doing it. We all recognize it. But there's people in this room that might be doing it too. Check your heart. Thank God we have a kingdom different than this where you don't have to step on other people's backs to get ahead, but you fall at their feet and wash their feet and serve them. And the humble are exalted and the proud don't make it in. Because it's not about who we can take advantage of. It's about who laid down their life for us so that we can freely enjoy this new kingdom. This is getting good. Verse 10. We're only two verses in. We better better move. Verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Let's read that one again. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I love Solomon. Not because he's bringing us good news all the time, but because he's just a straight shooter. He says what's on our minds, but we need someone to tell us sometimes. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? (laughs) Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard, sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. So verse 12, those who are just trying to make an honest living and serve the Lord and work for their family, they sleep good at night regardless of how much is in their bank account because they know they're doing what they're supposed to. But those who are always trying to get a little bit more and enough is never enough, they don't get to sleep very well, do they? Second thing we see, problem with riches is it's never enough. I like ESPN. I clicked on ESPN today. Some of you will recognize this name. Uh, this is on the front page. Uh, an ex-running back in the NFL, he played for the Broncos and the Redskins, Clinton Portis. If you're a Chiefs fan, you remember him when he was killing us with the Broncos. And he, um, he had a little article about his riches and how things have gone since he Made all those riches a few years ago in the NFL. It says, Former Washington Redskins running back Clinton Portis contemplated killing one of his former financial managers after losing millions of dollars in various investments, helping to wipe out his NFL fortune. In a story published by blah, 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 Portis recounted a night four years ago in which he sat in a car outside a building, holding a gun and waiting on one of the managers he felt had ruined him financially. Portis had made, now keep in mind, It ain't just like you got five bucks, someone took four of it. You don't know what you're going to do. Portis had made $43.1 million in his nine-year NFL career, but most of it had either been spent or lost through investments or, as one lawsuit said, bank withdrawals without his consent. Portis said, I wasn't there to beat him up. I was there to kill him. Portis had filed multiple lawsuits, It said he had lost a $1 million investment in some casino in Alabama and then uh, another account 
was opened with a forged signature, and then he lost another $3.1 million because people just withdrew money that he didn't know about, and then he got hooked up with a Ponzi scheme uh, that another one of his managers told him was going to be a good idea. And then it says... The Portis now lives in a two-bedroom apartment in Virginia, and among other jobs, um, does radio broadcast in the preseason. And he says this at the very end. Most people would have offed themselves. That's suicide. If they had to deal with what I had to deal with. $43.1 million. Is he very happy with his life right now? Let me ask you a, a simple question. In your life, how much money is enough? How much money is enough? How much money in your savings account is enough that you would find contentment? What's the goal? How much money are you desiring for a yearly income where you feel like this would be, this would be good? If you simply find yourself saying, well, enough to get me by or fit my lifestyle, you know that the gap between plenty and never enough is never-ending because you always will adjust your lifestyle to the amount of money coming in. And so you'll find yourself spending what you get, and then you need a little more, and then you need a little more, and you find, by default, you think more is better, and you just keep on going. There's a lot of young people in this room. I'm still a pretty young pup. It's good for us to hear this because there's going to be so many decisions that you make in your life revolving your career and money and what you're going to do with it that if you just go with the flow and you don't sit down and think, what's the purpose of money in my life? You will find yourself just assuming, take the job that pays more, even if there's some compromise, longer hours or whatnot, get ahead, get the better title. Those things cost you in other areas of life. Understand the vast majority of better paying jobs for most of us aren't just handed out randomly, but they mean you got to work harder. You got to work longer hours. Got to have more responsibility and stress. But if you don't stop and think about it, all of us think that's the oasis in the desert. And you're going to go clamoring for that pool of water. You're going to find out when you get there, it's a mirage, but you killed yourself getting there. Now your life has been wasted. Let me just encourage you, wherever you are in life right now, if you haven't already, make a financial mission statement. Make a financial mission statement. What is the role of money in your life? I've said this before and I'll say it again. When Tara and I were brand new together years and years ago, I remember sitting down, we talked about what's the role of money? In our lives. And we had two primary things. We didn't ever want to be in debt, right, outside of your house. We didn't, we didn't want credit card debt, car loan debt, to where we couldn't do whatever God asked us to do at any moment. And number two, we wanted to have enough to bless other people. So that might mean we make more, or that might mean we just spend less and let what we have go further. But for us, that's guided us. And throughout the last eight years, of marriage, we've had less income almost every year, but we've still got plenty. We're not in debt outside of our house, and we are able to bless people. It's funny how that works. 
But there'll be lots of opportunities in the rest of my life and her life to take jobs that pay more. But if you haven't sat down and thought about this, what's the purpose of money? You might just take that job. Assuming more is always better. But we live in a different kingdom. That kingdom has calling. Not just the more is always better. What Solomon's ultimately saying here, if you start thinking about your career and money and all the decisions that go with it, and you have a void in your life that you are trying to ultimately fill, don't be surprised when you get to what you would perceive as the end of this chase and find out the void is still there. Silas is three. I always got a Silas story. Let me give you a simple one. We have a rule with him, and Tara's way better at this than me. When it comes to snacks, he loves Doritos, he loves Cheetos, he loves everything with an O on the end of it. Like he just, he loves snacks, right? Cookies, all that stuff. But the rule for us as parents is if you're still hungry, you need to eat more healthy food before you start getting a snack. So if he's at the table and he's like, oh, I want a cookie. Are you still hungry? Yeah. Then you need to keep eating your apples, boy. You need to keep eating your meat. You need to eat this. No, I don't want to. I want this. Why? Why would parents have a rule like that? Because we understand snacks aren't always healthy. But if he's got a hunger inside that's not filled with the healthy stuff, he will fill it with the junk and it will make his belly hurt. And in the same way, if you are not satisfied in Christ and yet you're talking about careers, yeah. If you don't have Christ and you're talking about money and the role of it, ugh, you're going to find. You get to the end of that road and you're just as hungry as you were when you started because you're cramming some junk food in it that not only won't fill the void, but it'll hurt and it'll make you sick. I love the fact that the kingdom you and I get to partake in with Christ takes it's never enough off the table. And with Jesus, we always have enough. So then we get a look at health, wealth, all that stuff with healthy perspective, knowing you can enjoy it, but it ain't everything to you. Verse 13. There's another serious problem that I have seen under the sun. If you haven't picked up yet, this is the theme. Another serious problem, another, another serious problem, but remember, it's all under the sun, this earthly kingdom. Hoarding riches harms the saver. And money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. Third thing you see, the more money, get more problems. It gives you a false sense of security. If you're chasing riches, it might just give you a false sense of security. It says in there that hoarding harms the saver. You guys ever watch that TV show, Hoarders? How do you feel when you watch it? Do you feel good or bad? You feel horrible, don't you? And you say, I'm never going to have all that stuff in my house. And then you go purge everything in your house for like three minutes. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to get rid of that. And then you stop, turn off the show and just go on with life. Because it makes you feel guilty that you're maybe going to be a hoarder one day. 
You feel horrible, don't you? It's sad. Because you're seeing these people who say, I'm keeping stuff around me because I think it's going to comfort me. I don't want to lose out on anything. I don't want to have to go buy this in the future. I'm going to bring it because it's valuable to me. And yet they don't own their stuff anymore. Their stuff owns them. And it's suffocating them. Sometimes literally, they can't move in their own house. And it's easy for us to watch that physically when it comes to people's possessions in their home. And they're trying to move all the newspapers and everything else to try to move through and say, yep, that's obviously overboard. But yet, what about us and our own life? Is money for you, is your career for you a functional savior? Like you would maybe say, Jesus is my savior, Jesus is my Lord, but you can have money as a functional God where ultimately you find your identity in it, you find your value in it, you find your comfort in it, your peace of mind in it, is that you? Is that you? When Silas goes to bed each night, he's got, a little, he's got two little monkeys. One of them is called Bedtime Monkey, and the other one's called Coco. Coco got a grip on this boy's heart. Coco is about yay big. Plays a big old role in our family. He's a funny little monkey. Half of his body is his head, just a big head. And Silas takes him everywhere. And if he's missing him, he, he'll say, Coco, where are you, Coco? He'll walk through the house, Coco, Coco. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. This has gone too far. He can't go to bed without Coco. Got to have Coco. Sometimes bedtime monkey, you can do without him. Bedtime monkey was so yesterday. But Coco has got a grip on his boy's heart. And for him, I watched this little three-year-old. I'm telling him all about Jesus. I'm telling him all about God. And we read our Bible at night, and he's learning Bible verses, and he says, yeah, God's big, and this about God, and that about God. And you're like, that's headed down the right path. I like it, buddy. You're going to be a little preacher, man. This is good. But then I see him sleeping, cuddled up with his stinking cocoa. And I think to myself, He's finding his comfort in Coco. He's finding his protection in Coco. When the light gets flipped off and the door's shut, if Coco wasn't there, he'd freak out. Like he loves Coco. He loves Coco too much. What would you do without Coco? What's your Coco? <laughs> you didn't think you'd be hearing that question tonight, did you, when you rolled in here 40 minutes ago? How many of you say to yourself, well, I would just be able to breathe easier once we built our savings account back up to where I like it. Well, if we could just make X amount of money, I would feel a lot better at life and I wouldn't worry so much. You know how quick that money can get wiped away? And what are you left with? What are you left with? It's good to have a savings account. I hope you all make a bunch of money. I hope you make so much money and give it to God, then I start making more money. (laughs) But you might have a false sense of security. If you see a celebrity, uh, and they got a bodyguard, do they have bodyguards uh, who are bigger in general, bigger than them or smaller than them? Bigger. Because if you're going to truly have security, you've got to have someone bigger than you around you. And for us, 
Jesus is the only one that's truly going to give us security. And when he tells us, when you're in the Father's hand, no one can pry you out. That's security. When he tells us, in his kingdom, man, when you're in it, all the details about it, what's going to happen in end times, what heaven's going to be like, that's security. His words mean something because he can do something about it. Your bank account can't. Again, it's not evil, but you just got to have a healthy perspective, and that comes from a healthy foundation with God. Moving on. Verse 15. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us, and this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is like nothing is for nothing, like working for the wind, chasing after the wind. Throughout their lives they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Can you relate to verse 17? You feel like you're living under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, angry. Fourth thing we see is the money can't go with you. It can't go with you. It's kind of like a little kid at a play date when all his friends are running around having fun. And as a parent, you're like, hey, go play with him. But he doesn't want to play with him. He wants to sit over in the corner and build that tower of blocks. You're thinking, buddy, play with your friends. He's just just focused on playing and building that tower. And then you say, okay, it's time to go. We've got to go. And he walks and looks back and says, well, I didn't get to play with my friends, but I also can't take the blocks with me. And the realization in that little kid's mind that someone's going to come and like knock my blocks over. Someone else is going to play with my blocks. I can't take my blocks with me. Solomon's saying, you can't take your blocks with you, kids. And if you spend your whole time in life building your little block tower in the corner and neglecting relationships, you're going to get to the end of this and realize, not only can I not take my tower of blocks with me, but I didn't spend time in the relationships that mattered. He's saying, it's all sandcastles, man. You build it and it looks great for a little bit, and then someone else is going to come wash it away. He doesn't say this because he hates us. He says it because he loves us. say, what's that dark cloud all about? Live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. I think that's all in the context of whether you hope that maybe this whole chasing riches thing will pay off in the end. Like if you think, I want to take it with me. I want to build something that lasts. He's saying that those are the folks who are frustrated and discouraged. But if you look past death, to eternity, to a different kingdom, all of a sudden, now this is going to, we've got to spin this in a positive, right? You guys, uh, you're depressed at this point, and I want to get you back into thinking this is, this is the good for us. If you look past death to another kingdom, to eternity, then all of a sudden, now, right now, today in life, you can change the way that you view money. And instead of something that could ruin you, it's a tool to build the kingdom of God. And so it changes everything because you say, you know what? I will be frustrated. I will be discouraged and angry if my goal is just to build something that I can take with me. But if you say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on how I can make an impact right now. It's not about how much money I have when I die. It's about what I did with it while I was still alive. 
You see, people who have a generous heart, people who love the Lord, no matter how much money they have, they always say, I've got enough to give. But people who love money and they don't know the Lord, they'll never have enough to give. They'll never be enough. What are you doing? For some of you, it might be the little bit that God's given you. For some of you, it might be a lot. What are you doing with your money on earth? Is anyone around you blessed by your little kingdom? I think Solomon would say, you need to invest in eternal things. You need to be generous. You need to give back to the Lord. That's why he told the Israelites, tithe. Give 10% of everything you have. Your crops, your money, everything. Bring it to me. Don't wait till the end when you've spent 90, but bring it to me at the beginning, the first fruits of everything, so that you remember I gave this to you, and this is about me. And if you love me more than money, you will happily bring it to me at the beginning and say, I'm just going to chop it off and give it to you. I don't give a bunch of money to Crosspoint because each year when they say, here's your salary for the year, I just chop off 10% right off the top and say, just keep it. Don't even give it to me. We don't have to play with taxes. IRS will let you do that, by the way. You get a sign a little form. Just give it back. Give it straight back. Some of us say, well, I want to invest. I want to do something with the little bit that I have, but I don't necessarily feel super generous. You got to understand, generous is both given and developed. There's a heart that God gives those who believe in Jesus, those who follow Jesus. It's a new heart. We're promised this in Ezekiel 36. This new heart loves God. It loves the things of God, and it wants to bless and build the kingdom of God. And you've got to have that heart if you're going to give to God. But it's also developed. God plants that heart in you. But just like having a heart transplant in real life, it takes time to adjust to it and to walk in it. You don't just get up running wind sprints the day after a heart transplant. And so you need to know, Generous people don't get a reputation for being generous because they ponder generosity. They have a reputation for being generous because they actually gave and became generous people. And you've got to start somewhere. But think about, just think about, I mean, this is, this is fun for me. This might not be fun for you. Think about even the little bit of money that you have, the impact that you can make in eternal things whether it give it to missionaries or give it to the church or find Compassion International or something like that where you can bless somebody or even nonprofits where you know this money can help in the kingdom of God. It might be a direct way or an indirect way, but you realize this is going to last. This is going to be invested in something that is long after I'm gone. It's going to be making an impact for the things that matter. Where else would you rather have your money go than into eternity? That's a good investment. But you've got to think about it. You've got to choose it. You've got to know what God's word says about it. When I first became a Christian, I thought tithing was weird. Because I didn't grow up in the church. And I thought, give back, give money back to God. Like, that's weird. This little 10% thing. Then I started doing it, and I started seeing God's faithfulness. And I started seeing, man, 
God's not going to promise to to give me a bunch more money. This isn't a slot machine kind of deal. But he's always provided for me. And he blesses me beyond belief. And it used to be hard to give to God. Now it's a joy. And I think you need to hear someone tell you that. If you're wondering, is it always going to be hard? It's a joy to give to God. You want to give to God. But it doesn't always start that way. And I'll say this last thing about generosity. It'll free you up because you can't stand here. You can't sit here today and say, I love God more than my money. But if you're not generous, you're saying ultimately, I know what God says about generosity, but I'm going to hold on to it just until I get rid of that debt, just until that student loan is done, just until, and then you got every excuse in the book. What you're saying is, I, I, I don't really love God. I really do love my money. I'm just trying to buy some time. And God's saying, no, you can give right now. Hopefully that goes over a lot better in a Wednesday night service than a Sunday. That's not, that's not something people like to hear. But I'm not going to beat around the bush with generosity like it's something bad. It's a beautiful thing. When it comes to Jesus being Lord of your life, he's Lord of all of your life, or as many have said, Lord of none of it. Give him every part and see God work in powerful ways. All right, last little bit. You, you, you all know who the most joyful person that ever lived, ever walked this earth was, right? Probably Jesus. He's God. Do you know who the most generous person is that ever walked this earth? It's Jesus. No coincidence the two go hand in hand. He gave his life. Verse 18, we'll wrap this up. Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least, that is good. <laughs> you, ever, you ever get that point with like your kids? You're like, can you, your friends, can you just say something good about life? Like, I just, I've heard you complain and talk about all this bad stuff. Can you just say anything good? And someone's like, I could probably tell you one thing that's good. It's good for people to eat and drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them, and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such busy, such people so busy, oh, this is beautiful, so busy in life, enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Last thing we see, the best riches is life with Jesus. This is the context of what Solomon encourages us in. He's telling us about all the junk under the sun, but he's saying, we know, this was written 3,000 years ago, we know what happened 2,000 years ago on a cross, and we know about this kingdom I've been telling you about, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that Jesus said, it's here right now. So when he says you can eat, you can drink, you can do these things, the whole context for us isn't just that God gives us that opportunity, but that it's with God, that, that it's in the presence of God, that you do it with God. That's the beauty of it. Now he rifles off eight different things when it comes to what he sees as good. And so, in the last seven and a half minutes, we're going to rifle through eight things, and I hope that you are left encouraged. This is what Solomon says he has found to be good. So, first thing he says is you can eat with him. He says, I found this to be a good thing. You can, you can eat. God gave this as a gift. Now, the first meal for humanity didn't work out too good, right? 
the apple, whatever, in the garden. That was a bad meal. The last meal, as we see in Revelation, is going to be good. It's going to be a wedding feast. It's going to be us with God. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Solomon's saying, eat. Not just, not just eat, but eat with God. Commune with God. Use something so basic, so simple. As an opportunity to connect with God. This is a gift God gave you. Enjoy food. It doesn't matter if it's chicken nuggets with your roommates in a dorm or if it's a five-course meal. You ain't got to feel guilty about it. Eat and do it with God. Do it to the glory of God and for your own enjoyment. It's good. It's good to eat. In heaven, we're going to be eating with everyone who's in heaven. So some of us find ourselves eating alone, Right? That's okay, but eat with friends, eat with family, eat with the church, eat and remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, eat and think about God, eat and eat with Jesus. So this can be a good, beautiful thing. He says, drink with him. Drink with him. Now, based on context, we read in the first couple chapters here, when he was talking about drinking, he was talking about alcohol. But whether it's alcohol or follow the laws and what's biblical, I just got to throw that out. Remember, anyway, just don't be silly. You all know what I'm talking about. You don't want another sermon at the end of a sermon. That's, a, that's every congregational person's like worst nightmare. Oh no, he's about to go into a sermon at the end of the sermon. That's going to be a long time from now that we're going to get out of here. But it says drink with God. So whether it's coffee, whether it's water, whether it's tea, whatever it is, drink with him. Enjoy being refreshed, communing with Jesus while you're drinking. He says, number three, enjoy your work with him. Some of you want out of your job right now, and you found yourself quitting jobs and moving from jobs before, and you found yourself with this one phrase coming out of your mouth, I just wasn't happy. I just, I just wasn't happy. And the Bible's saying, you need to understand that contentment isn't coming from what you're doing, your job or your relationships. Those aren't the contentment comes from the heart and it can take place anywhere. There's people who don't have money, who don't have good jobs, who don't have good relationships off in the middle of nowhere with contentment because they got Christ. And so what are you saying? Some of you, you might need to go work other jobs, but maybe the job you have now that you despise, if you realize I can work with Jesus, I can serve Jesus wherever I work. You start to see it different. This is a blessing in life. This is a blessing. Genesis cursed us when it came to work. But God redeems work. It says, accept your lot in life. How many of you feel like you're dealt a bad set of cards? Some of us do. And Solomon's saying, accept where you are and who you are. Some of you, you're smart. That's good. Some of you are funny. That's great. Some of you, you're not so funny. And some of you aren't so smart. He's saying, accept your lot in life. You don't like living here? God said, you're here. Be content with it. God says, you, you, you don't like this relationship. You don't like this. You don't like what's going on here. He said, accept where you're at and realize you need to quit blaming your circumstances for something that's only controlled in your heart. And I'm not trying to de-emphasize your circumstances. I'm trying to emphasize what's going on in here. Because that brings contentment. Accept your lot in life. Number five. Sounds odd, doesn't it? I'm just trying to preach it. He said, make money. He said, enjoy your, enjoy your wealth. Again, we talked about how subjective that is. If you can have money, 
If God has blessed you financially, don't just be thankful, but build his kingdom with it. Invest in eternal things. Enjoy good health. Solomon says, enjoy health. Again, if you got good health, enjoy it. When you're exercising, exercise with Jesus. Think about your body. Think about what God has given you. And some of you say, well, you don't understand. I struggle with some depression and anxiety and I got these issues or, or maybe I have a physical disability here. Uh, remember, it's all subjective. Everyone in here has bad health to someone else. Everyone in here has good health to someone else. Be thankful for what you have and recognize it's a gift from God. Enjoy your life with them. He says in verse 20, these people are so busy enjoying life, they don't have time to brood over the past. Enjoy your life. Some of you feel guilty when it comes to the idea of enjoying your life because you've been in churches that have taught you that if it doesn't have the name Jesus on it, it's going to be evil. God gave us things in this world to be enjoyed for his glory and our good. And it takes wisdom and discernment to know which things those are. But be thankful. Enjoy them with Jesus. Enjoy them. And if you got, give to others. But if God gave to you, be thankful. You don't have to believe that being miserable on earth, and some of us have made decisions that have made us miserable, but you've got to understand, simply being in poverty isn't somehow righteous. Our righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. I'll say that again. You go to Christmas and you give someone a gift. If they take it and say, I'm just going to go without this. Because I want to be miserable. And hopefully through my miserable feelings, I will, I will feel more righteous. Because people are going without this stuff around the world. And I just, I just want you to know I'm going to go without it. You look at them and you say, open the present and enjoy it. God's a good father. If he's given you gifts, enjoy them. Last but not least, we'll end with this. I got 37 seconds. I'm on pace. Get past your past with him. It says people who are too busy enjoying life with God don't have time to brood over the past. Let me, let me simply say, I know that some of us in here, all of us in here struggle with our past. We've all made mistakes. When you go to bed at night, are you thinking about uh, mistakes from your past? or a hope for your future? When you wake up in the morning, are you thinking about issues from the past that haunt you? Or what Christ has for you today? Some of us are like spiritual archaeologists. We just keep digging up junk from our past all the time. And we can't let things go. And we just dig it up so we can look at it and analyze it a little bit. Just put it in a museum. And we're too concerned with who has hurt us in the past and who might hurt us in the future that we forget who's with us today and that he can heal us today. We're too concerned with what has happened in the past and what we fear in the future that we forget about the hope that we have today. Solomon wants you to know. And Solomon at this point didn't even know fully what he's saying. Jesus can heal your past. He can forgive your sins. And he can make a future. That's better than you can ever imagine. Bottom line, 
No amount of money can buy you happiness or heal your heart. But God, through Jesus, can give us joy and give us a new heart. And that's better. You want to know how to find contentment? You don't need some preacher telling you, hey, don't love money. You need a gospel that says, I'm going to give you something better to love. His name is Jesus. And what he's done for you is better than what you can do to get any kind of money that you might think will bring you happiness. Money can be a good thing. But the best thing is Jesus. Let's pray.